So we are in a series at the moment that is called In Suffering. Uh, we've been talking for the last four weeks about how often God doesn't remove our pain. Instead, he enters into our pain with us. We've been looking at different passages from the book of 2 Corinthians, and today we're going to look at how Jesus invites us to focus on eternity through our suffering. So I'd like to invite you to stand to join with me in reading the scripture. We are reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 to 18. It says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So as I began dwelling on this topic, a name of somebody who's inspired me for many years now came to my mind, and that was the name Johnny Erickson Tada. I don't know, if you were at a leader's retreat yesterday, you do know of Johnny now, but many of you may not have heard of her. When she was 17, she was an aspiring athlete. She misjudged a dive into shallow water, and in an instant, she fractured her spine becoming a quadriplegic, which means she's paralyzed from her shoulders down. She cannot move or feel. This was over 50 years ago. Now, Joni is in her 60s, and she has been in a wheelchair for more than 50 years. During her two years of rehabilitation, after the initial accident, uh, there's a picture of her here. According to her autobiography, Johnny which is one of the books that I read years before studying occupational therapy that inspired me. She talked about experiencing anger and depression and suicidal thoughts, religious doubts, as she laid in a hospital bed, no longer able to move the majority of her body. She talked about how she lost heart. But then, during that time in hospital, she met an occupational therapist. That occupational therapist said to her, Johnny, you can still do things put a paintbrush between her teeth, and Johnny began to create art. Johnny also talks that in that time she began to see that God's promises were still good, that they were still relevant for her, despite her now paralyzed position. She talked about how even though she experienced a suffering then and still does of outwardly wasting away, in that time, she learned that she needn't lose heart, despite of her disability. Today, Joni has written more than 40 books. She's recorded several music albums. She's starred in the autobiographical movie of her life. She founded an organization that advocates for the more than 1 billion people worldwide who are disabled, of whom 80%, they estimate, live in the developing world. And last year, she spoke at the Global Leadership Summit, which is something our church uh, participates in every year. And what she spoke about was how God has not only tolerated and let her weakness be through her disability, but God has used it to reveal his strength 
in her life. And I think I wanted to share of Johnny because I think she's an incredible living example of the passage we're looking at today. I think few people in the world could so intimately connect with this verse, with this idea of outwardly wasting away than a person who has been in a wheelchair for more than 50 years. Yet, Johnny's story also tells of how God has been renewing her spirit and teaching her, eyes, her to have her eyes fixed on unseen promises. But I think it's certainly not true that you have to become a quadriplegic or work in the profession of health or rehabilitation to know that there are great sufferings, there are great afflictions in our world, and to know that we are outwardly wasting away. You only have to look at child trafficking, domestic violence, torture, starvation, disease, or disability, to know that suffering is around us. It's very much in our world. And none of us are immune from suffering. We all experience different things in our lives, maybe breakups, illness, loss of loved ones. Maybe we see, have relationship breakdowns or maybe we have lived through poverty. Suffering is very real in our lives and in our world. But what I want to speak about today is specifically the directive we're given in verse 16, which says, do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. So to lose heart is actually an idiom. Heart is associated to your spirit or your soul or your sense of self. So to lose heart means to give up, to feel no hope, to become discouraged, to lose confidence, to lose all courage. And probably as I say these things, everybody can think of a time in their lives where they've felt those things, where you would say you lost heart. And then the questions that come to my mind, if we're told do not lose heart, how does a woman like Johnny, who lost the movement of her body over 50 years ago, not lose heart? She talks about waking up in the morning and somebody has to come and help her do her toileting routine, wash her body, get her dressed, brush her hair, wipe her nose. How does she not lose heart day to day? In the midst of the suffering that is around us and in our world, how do we not lose heart? How do we not lose heart in the suffering you might be in right now, today, in your current circumstance? And how do we know that the reality of the world is we will experience suffering? How do we prepare that we will experience suffering but not lose heart? But I think this passage gives us the most amazing answer to how we can do this. Verse 15 says, Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. There are two words here using measures of weight. One of them is light. Our troubles are described as light. In contrast, eternal glory is described as weighty or heavy. And I think it doesn't usually feel this way to us. Our troubles, our sufferings, our afflictions don't usually feel light. They actually feel very heavy. But what it is saying is that in comparison to eternal glory, indeed they are light. 
One of my favourite artists is a Christian artist, musician called Andrew Peterson. And one of the lines in his song that I have clung to and listened to for many hours says, All of the death that ever was, if you sat it next to life, I believe it would barely fill a cup. In other words, C.S. Lewis wrote, all the loneliness, angers, hatreds, envies and itchings of this, that this world contains if rolled into one single experience and put into a scale against the least moment of joy that is felt in heaven would have no weight that could be registered at all. No weight that could be registered at all. Now, I think a good way, a way I've found it helpful to understand this. My mum has been a classroom teacher in Australia where I grew up for the last 30 years. Classroom teachers will probably uh, connect with this strongly. My mum has a crisis scale. We've also grown up using this at home. A one on the crisis scale is breaking your fingernail, low-level crisis. A 10 is losing your whole family to a natural disaster, high-level crisis. She uses this to help children learn to have an appropriate emotional response. So when a child comes to her and says, my lunchbox is missing, it's the end of the world. My mum says, let's talk about the crisis scale. Is this a one or is this a 10? Some parents here are thinking, I'm gonna use this in my home now. Um, the idea that she has is to teach kids to have a perspective on their own suffering. Uh, losing your lunchbox probably isn't a 10. Uh, it's probably lower. And even though this is a helpful scale, this has been helpful for us in our home and I've seen my mum use it, I actually don't think God uses a scale like this. God doesn't rank or compare our sufferings to each other because actually each of us go through unique and different sufferings in all of our own lives. God also is not dismissing our suffering. He is not ignoring our suffering, nor is he disregarding our suffering. I think that what this verse is actually saying is that the weight of eternal is so the weight of eternal glory is so big that the suffering that ranks as a 10 on my mum's crisis scale is outweighed by its glory. Any suffering that feels like or is lived out feels like the most horrible suffering, the biggest crisis in the world, this verse is saying is light and momentary in comparison to eternal glory. And I think what this verse is aiming us to do is let our perspectives be changed. As we fix our eyes on God's promises, how we view our own troubles is changed. So I found this image, well, I created this image that I think can be helpful in helping us understand this. On your left-hand side is a, pack, is a pile of rocks that says light and momentary troubles. On the other side is the eternal weight of glory. I think this is often how our lived experience is, hey? It feels like our troubles is the bigger pile and that the eternal glory is small or maybe distant. But I want you to look more carefully at this picture, probably what you didn't notice at first because you were not looking for a miraculous nature of this image 
is that the one stone of eternal glory is outweighing the stack of stones that are our light and momentary troubles. The one stone is lower. It suggests it has more weight. It is better able to defile gravity and draw it down than the many stones that represent troubles or suffering. Now that you've noticed that, maybe your perspective of this picture is somehow changed. Now that you see that, you think this picture is kind of unnatural. It should be the other way around. It should be the bigger pile of stones that's lower. It should be the bigger pile of stones that's heavier. This picture has some kind of miraculous nature to it. Now that you've seen it, your perspective of this picture has changed. And I think that that's what this verse is trying to do for us in our own lives. It's trying to change our perspective to see that there is a miraculous nature of God in this world that means that his glory, his reward, his promises outweigh all of our suffering. But it's interesting, if you look at this verse, Paul goes even further than just saying that the weight of eternal glory outweighs our sufferings. He actually says that our current suffering is achieving for us eternal glory. Our suffering is producing for us eternal glory. It is causing for us eternal glory. It is bringing about for us eternal glory. It is preparing for us eternal glory. So if you look at this picture, not only is this picture already miraculous in its nature, as is God's nature in our world and God's promises to us miraculous, what Paul is saying is that if we were to add to this picture more stones on the side of light and momentary troubles, the weight of those stones would be added to the side of eternal glory. No matter how many stones we added to the side of light and momentary glory, there would be more and more and more weight added to the side of eternal glory. And you might be thinking, how? How can that happen? And again, I think this is pointing us that God has a miraculous nature. God can defile our natural way of being and God has a miraculous nature. Um, And I think this knowledge applied to our lives, when you go into times of suffering, when you are in times of suffering, to know that the heaviness, the weight, the trial, the struggle of passing through that suffering produces more weight of the eternal glory can be so comforting. It can change how we view our sufferings. It can change how we walk through our sufferings. It can change how we walk through the sufferings of those around us and near us to know that as we walk through painful trials or difficult times, God's miraculous nature actually adds weight to the eternal glory he has promised us. So I would like to give us three practical causes of losing heart. 
Uh, I think that uh, many of us have gone through these times of losing heart, and I want to look at why. What has sometimes caused us to lose heart? And then I want to talk about three promises in this passage that God has given us that can act as antidotes, as preventatives, as treatments, as cures to losing heart. Because I think the reason it's important for us to see these causes is so that we don't fall into them. The reason I think it's important for us to see and know these promises is because Paul doesn't say to occasionally glance at the promises of God. Paul doesn't say to go to church on a Sunday only then to be reminded of the promises of God. Paul doesn't say to once a day glance or look briefly at these promises. Paul says here, we should fix our eyes on what is unseen, to fix our eyes on the good promises of, of God that we may not have lived through yet, but are still there in our lives. We should have our eyes fixed on them. And when we do, I believe that we can go through incredible suffering and not lose heart because of these promises. So the first cause is found in that first um, verse, which says we are outwardly wasting away. Whether you are young or old, I have to tell you, you are dying, and one day you will die. Some of us might be closer than others, We we don't know. Paul wasn't writing this from the perspective of natural aging though, or simply that maybe distant reality. In 2 Corinthians, in chapter 11, Paul actually talks through some of the persecutions he faced. He lists them. He was imprisoned. He was flogged. He was stoned. He received lashings. He was shipwrecked. He went without sleep. He went without food. He went without water. He was cold and he was naked. Paul probably wasn't in a natural wasting or aging experience Paul would have been experiencing rapid and acute, wasting away, living that kind of life, receiving that kind of treatment results in that. Paul would have been very personally aware of wasting away. Yet, Paul then goes on to give us the promise of God that can act as an antidote to losing heart for being, because we are wasting away. And Paul's, the promise here is that we are inwardly being renewed day by day. This is something Johnny lives as an incredible testimony to. She talks about how her energy, her passion for serving disadvantaged people, her drive to share of God's goodness grows day by day, even though she wastes away day by day. God has promised us that our souls are being renewed. Our spirits are being renewed day by day when we fix our eyes on him. The second cause, practical cause of us losing heart, is also found in this passage. We experience troubles. We experience suffering. We experience trials. Maybe some of these are things you've gone through. You failed the exam. He broke up with you. Your application has been unsuccessful. Your money isn't enough to last the month. 
your girlfriend stopped answering your calls, your phone switched off and won't switch on again, your friend betrayed your confidence, you received a diagnosis, you lost a baby, you lost a good friend. We all go through trials and difficult experiences and I believe that whether they rank as a 10 or whether they rank as a one on my mum's crisis meter, I do believe all of us go at some point through our lives through a trial or a pain or a suffering that feels to us like a 10 on that scale. We will all face troubles. But there is a promise that I've already spoken of that when we fix our eyes on it, it can be an antidote for us losing heart. And that promise is that not only in comparison to the weight of glory are our troubles light and fleeting, but our troubles that are light and fleeting, that we will look back and view as that one day, are adding to that weight of glory. And thirdly and finally, I think uh, one of the causes of us losing heart, this is a big one for me. This is probably one of my favorite things to do that leads me in any kind of trial that leads me to losing heart. And that is to fix my eyes on what is seen. I love to be obsessed with my circumstances when I go through something hard. I often dwell a lot on my situation on the feelings that are provoked for me because of that situation, on my response to that situation, on the consequences of a trial or a struggle. And maybe you uh, have done that as well. Maybe you've gone through a trial where you've been so focused on those circumstances, on that situation that you've found in. You feel like it's inescapable, like there's no way out. Your feelings are so overwhelming, you feel so low, it feels so dark. You can't see a way out because you're so focused on what is seen, on what your circumstances are. But there is a promise in this passage as well that I think when we fix our eyes on this promise, it is an antidote for us losing heart. And that is that when we fix our eyes on what is unseen, what is unseen is eternal, which actually means that what is eternal will be good forever and what is painful and suffering will end. And I love talking about eternity. When I first saw this topic, I said to Humphreys, I love talking about eternity. <laughs> I love thinking about it. I love dwelling on it. Uh, the Bible tells us that God is eternal. He tells us that his word is eternal. He tells us that his people are eternal. His place is eternal. And what he tells us is that what is eternal is already in existence and it is good. Anything that is good is eternal. And what the Bible clearly tells us as well is that pain and suffering will end. There will be no weeping. There will be no tears. It gives us this incredible picture in Revelation of no longer needing the sun or the moon because God's glory will give us light. There will be no pain. There will be no trials left. We will simply have the bright presence of our Lord 
and all that is good left. And I do believe that we glimpse this now, even though it says it's unseen, the eternal promises of God, we taste them. Uh, Sarah Bessie, one of my uh, favorite authors, says, we have these moments of transcendence as if the thin veil between heaven and earth flutters in the most ordinary and normal moments of our lives, and we can't breathe for the loveliness of the world and of each other, and there we recognize him, Jesus. I, have, I could tell you so many stories where I've had this experience, so, so many, but a few months ago, one that stood out for me is I, Humphreys and I live a little bit out of town in NRC, and I was running one morning, and we live quite literally in the middle of Maysfield. So I was running through Maysfield. Um, The sun was just rising. It was one of those perfectly cool mornings where I actually wasn't finding the experience of running torturous, which is rare for me. I was enjoying it. And as I turned this corner in the path, the sun just broke over the top of the maze this sun rays just shone straight through. I love the color of maize when it's really in the green season. It just seems to to glow. I feel like the maize emits light and the sun was shining through that and it was perfectly still and it was so beautiful that it stopped me in my tracks. I paused because I was just struck. I was awed by God's beauty in that moment and I just felt this overwhelming sense of peace. And I stopped there and I praised God because I knew that I had just tasted a moment of God's eternal goodness. And it was just a glimpsing moment because then I remembered my legs were burning and I couldn't breathe and I hate running. But I had this teeny taste there of God's glory. And I think if we all think about it, if we all seek and look to recognize them, we all have these moments in our lives where we would say that thin veil between heaven and earth has flooded. And we can't breathe for the loveliness that we see there. And we know this is a taste, just a tiny taste of God's eternal goodness. And God has actually promised us that he will not only not leave us. God says he will never leave us in our trials or our sufferings here on earth. He says he will deliver it from us, deliver us from it. He also says he will share, he will walk through with us our sufferings. He, he did that when he came as Jesus in human form. He shared with us in walking through our sufferings. But he doesn't stop there. Not only will God rescue us from our sufferings, not only will he share with us in our sufferings, he says he will use our sufferings. And through our sufferings, he will add weight to that eternal glory. And I believe there will be a day where um, the world will be only those moments of perfect goodness. There will be none of the brokenness left in between. And in that moment, that brokenness will make us even more joyful, even more delighting, even more thankful of our God who has given us these good promises now. So we must fix our eyes on these good promises so that we do not lose heart.